Dude, the 90s are radically bitchin'. I'm like, addicted to Animaniacs, man. I, like, Forrest Gump is awesome, dude. Life is totally like a box of chocolates. Man, I never want the 90s to end. Here's like another thousand free hours of AOL. How can anybody beat that? It's out of sight. Dude, look at all these music videos on MTV and VH1. I'm never, ever going to get tired of seeing Green Day and Pearl Jam. It just can't happen. It's like radical. Man, nobody wants to play. An RPG should own a Sony machine. Good stuff's all on the center now, dudes. It's the happening place. For sure. Working Designs is sticking with Sega because no other company is awesome enough to handle RPGs of that caliber. Totally. What other company would stick with the Sega CD so long and crack out awesome things like Ironstorm? Hey, I know just that the Saturn versions of Lunar Games are gnarly beyond belief. Magic Knight Wraith is just a warm-up. And the can of RPG... uh, Just the awesomeness of RPGs, it's about to be unleashed on the world. Magic Knight Rare got delayed a little bit, but working designs is always good for making a release date. Oh man, it'll be here in just a few months, definitely. I'm sick of Monica Lewinsky and people squeeing over Leo DiCaprio in Titanic. The 90s can just end already. It's mega bogus now. I know what you mean, man. I can't believe how lousy the RPGs on the Nintendo 64 are, and I, like, thought it would be, like, the Super Nintendo all over again. <laughs> dude, it's like, what what happened to the Saturn, dude? It's... It, it... Like, Sega just pulled the plug and like wouldn't give it another chance. That is not radical. Hey, at least Working Designs righteously came through with timely release dates that made sure that anybody who owned a Saturn would have a chance to catch their breath. Oh, or nobody. Oh, man, just wait. Major League Bummer. There are RPGs long forgotten beyond that which is known to the modern gamer. It is a catalog vast as space and timeless as myth and legends. It is the middle ground where panelists from RP Gamer discuss computer and console RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. This is a dimension of adventure beyond your imagination. This is the RPG Backtrack. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Philip Willis and Mike Meeky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack, number 48, opening a can of whoop-ass. I'm here tonight with a trio of mics to help me up. First is my partner and cohort in crime, Mr. Meeky. I don't believe they award doctorates for witchcraft, but in the event they did, I should surely qualify. Awesome, dude. (laughs) Next up is a regular visitor here on the RPG Backtrack, Mr. Apps. Dude. <laughs> and last but most definitely not least, the Commander-in-Chief, the Editor-in-Arms, Mr. Michael Cunningham. I just want to leave this as my forum for saying right here and now 
that it's a really, really good thing that Nintendo gave away Excitebike for free on the 3DS for Virtual Console because it's the most horrible game I've ever played. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure I played it back in my youth and blocked all memories of it, and just playing it again is making me nauseous. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> and here I thought Urban Champion was supposed to be the lousiest game of the early NES library. No, and you, they should have given away Donkey Kong for free, man. That game's awesome. You played the Donkey Kong on the Virtual Console, the uh, the, the Game Boy one? Uh, that, is, that is the best Donkey Kong. It, it is it is the best Donkey Kong, so it, it, very few people know about it, but there was a Donkey Kong game released on the original Game Boy, and the first few levels look just like the arcade, nothing big, nothing you know awesome there. But once you get past the first few levels, you actually get to the real part of the game. The first few levels are just a prelude for this awesome Mario you know type of platformer that goes on for levels and levels. Uh, you can you know just Google some reviews or watch some uh, you know playing nows on uh, YouTube or something, but it's really a lot of fun. And uh, if you're gonna go back and play an old black and white Game Boy game uh, from the Virtual Console, uh, that one's highly up on the list of the ones you should try out. I heard that on another podcast just recently. Uh, <clears throat> this is supposed to be the better version or the good version that came out or something. It's, it's just. Uh, it's, did you play it, Mr. Apps? Of course. I that was one of my one of my favorite games back when in the early nineties or yeah. early to mid nineties. Yeah, when the only did that come out? I think that came out and I remember a bunch of ads uh putting it together with the Super Game Boy. Yes, ninety four. Yeah, and uh, yeah, 1994. I'm looking at the screen right now, and, and you know, I'll freely admit that a lot of the you know the games that came back out in the old days, especially on the Game Boy, uh, really weren't that great. But at the time, you know, we all thought they were great because it was the first handheld games, and that's what we had. And when you don't know any better, of course, that's going to be you know good in your sight. And, You're more tolerant back then. That's... Yeah, and when we go back and play some of these, it's it's with some rose-colored glasses, and we do, you know, we we try to differentiate some of that on on RPG Backtrack. But uh, Donkey Kong, unlike Super Mario Land, um, is re- is really one of the games that was really <laughs> that is really still fun, uh, absolutely to this day. Uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's, I, I never liked the original Super Mario Land. Yeah, Super Mario two and three; those are good games. Good games, yeah. But they released the original Super Mario Land as well, and I bought that one purely for nostalgia value. I knew exactly what I was getting into. Um, obviously, it doesn't hold a candle to the later iterations, or even Super Mario One on the Nintendo, for that matter. Um, but if if you played it as a kid, it's good for nostalgia value. If you didn't play it as a kid, skip it. <laughs> but Donkey Kong, everyone should should give that a shot. That's just awesomeness. But this is not. Donkey Kong track. This is RPG backtrack, isn't it? And I understand you gentlemen want to talk about some weird games that I have barely heard of before. <laughs> so I, so I'm told. You are correct. So uh, we're going to take a tiny little break. We're going to cue some music that I'm sure Mr. Minky or uh, one of you other mics can link to me so I can have <laughs> something to put in a show. And uh, we'll be right back and let these gentlemen reminisce about these duo of games. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
So let's see here. Albert Odyssey, Legend of Eldian. Deacon. Yeah, and Magic Knight Ray Earth. And, and what do these two games have in common again, Mr. Minky? Well, they were both localized by working designs on the Saturn. I think that's enough of a connection. There you go. Well, uh, we'll start off with Albert Odyssey, because I'm pretty sure that's first in the alphabetical order list. Uh, uh, Albert Odyssey Legend of Eldian was developed by Sunsoft, published uh, in North America by Working Designs. This is a Sega Saturn RPG exclusive on that platform, released July 24th, 1997. This is a single-player console RPG experience rated K-A. That's a new one. <laughs> Kids to adults. So I guess it just depends on which, which uh, part of the game you're in or something, I guess. I, I don't know. I just Yeah, I guess nothing working designs put into the translation was egregiously offensive to the ESRB. Well, I mean, to get, I mean, usually it just says if it's not offensive, it's kids. If there's some offense in there somewhere, it's adults. But since it says kids to adults, I, I get the feeling that if you play the game one way, you get the kiddie version. But maybe if you make this decision the other way. Maybe if you decide to kill the innocent people, for example, when given the choice, maybe that's when you get the adult version, the Grand Theft Auto version. Is that how that works? Technically, it was from the time before the, when the ESRB was first being formed. It's got the sticker on the case, dude. It's got the KA on the case. I'm looking at the screenshot. Get a pen, scratch through it, and okay. write E. E, e for, for everybody. everybody. All right. I don't know. I might put a T on this one. T for teen. Yeah, I can see that. But it says kids to adults. So can it does. Obviously, the mention of toenail soup didn't throw any th- heads around. <laughs> so I I had a – did I have a Sega Saturn or a Dreamcast? I can never remember. They, they all start to look the same after a while. But um, on either one, I really didn't get around to playing a whole lot of RPGs. But either one has a, a, a rabid base of fanboys who declares that their system is the best and had some really killer RPGs you can't get anywhere else. Is this one of those killer RPG apps that people missed out on if they didn't have a Sega Saturn? Let's find out. Who wants to set the stage by first telling us a bit about the, the, the story? Mr. Minky. All right, my turn. Albert Odyssey. This is, by the way, a side story of the two Albert Odyssey games on Super Famicom, which never came here. And that doesn't mean a whole lot based on what I've played of those games because there are very few connections between them. And this story begins... With young Pike, who in the grand tradition of RPG heroes has nothing to say, although his yes or no choices have been spiced up quite a bit by working designs to be far more interesting than the usual lot. And he's been an orphan living in a harpy village for quite a while, and harpies in this game are very different from the usual run of harpies. They happen to be vivacious women, apparently. But there's a nasty guy named Belnard. And he appears to wreak havoc on the Harpy Village because he wants something in it. And he happens to leave Pike's adoptive mother petrified, which was not very nice of him. And that's your impetus to go out there and try and find a cure for her. And eventually, of course, you will find that Belnard was just the servant of, uh... oh, yes. Actually, I can't remember who the the first half is. You've stumped yourself. See, I'm going off the character list in the manual, and it doesn't carry everyone. But this game is also structured very oddly, and anyone who's played it probably remembers, well, it looks like I'm at the final boss. This feels like a final boss, even though I'm only in about level 20, and then suddenly the game 
sort of ends and begins again a couple years later with a new plot in which the fiendish Novia is trying to unearth some ancient evil and, well, what do people who are seeking to unearth ancient evils in RPGs usually do? They're trying to take over the world, which is, of course, what she's doing. And she's the villainess of the second half of the game, which is only barely connected to the first half. All right, there. There's your plot. And we can throw in the names of the other characters like Ika, which is also the abbreviation for the library stamps of the town in which I live, which made me remember it very well. <laughs> or... Uh, Yes, Grizz the Dragon Man or Amon the... I think Working Designs actually toned him down a little bit because he is very, very fruity in his portrait and acts, I gather, like a gay bird man in the Japanese version. See, that would have been interesting. They should have... <laughs> you know, Working Designs was always a little on edge anyways with what they did. They weren't cut and dry with theirs. Why, why not? already kids to adults i mean that's yeah. it's mature <laughs> Come on. Uh, yeah might as well put it in and get rid of the k and be done with it yeah i mean not that a gay <laughs> character would make it you know adult but still be more mature grow up so yes the major thing about this plot is working designs interesting translation touches now i think mr apps would probably remember some of those yes i mainly remember a lot of the ads leading up to the game or maybe with articles and some of the gaming magazines touting about how much they were, you know, toying around with the story. And I actually remember it being a little bit toned down from what I expected. You know, it was a most a lot of like characters around town and things like that. And yet if this is toned down, it still leagues above most RPG plots. Uh oh, absolutely. Yes, I, I particularly remember a guard in a castle informing you you're causing a disturbance inside the castle will result in the opening of my can of whoop-ass. <laughs> and later, Kia, when she joins you in the second half, will receive this information from a villager, that the villager remembers her as a little baby wetting the bed all the time. Aw, wasn't that nice? Gave you a nice reason to actually go around the towns and talk to everyone. You never knew what people were going to say. Yeah, there are a lot of genuinely funny moments in this game. I'm going to chalk them all up to the translation, too. Uh, absolutely. I, I wonder what this game would have been like with like a more straight-on translation. It would have been yeah. like a lot of the horrible games we got in the PS1 and early <laughs> PSP lifetime Ooh. disasters. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, I think Mr. Cunningham remembers the Legend of Heroes games and those wonderful translations. I, I, the PlayStation 1 was just such a dark time in gaming history for people who weren't into, you know, shooters or, or you know, action-adventure type of things. For for us people who love RPGs and, and the such, it was just, oh, it was a cold and desperate time. And that's <laughs> that's where I dove headfirst back into PC gaming. <laughs> But we digress. So, um, what about? Uh, so, you you went over plot, but uh, you mentioned some characters. Can we go in a little bit more into detail about the characters of the story? Well, Pike, he's your hero. He's got spiky hair and he's got a sword. And of he... course, <laughs> is it a big sword? Uh -huh. Do I need to ask? <laughs> it's not that big. Okay. 
remember this came out be this was in development before Final Fantasy VII was released, so nobody was obsessed with making gigantic swords bigger than the entire body of the main character. What's that? <laughs> what's that new game on the PSP? It's like Monster Hunter, but it's like a futuristic version where you're fighting God Eater Burst. Yeah, God Eater God Burst. Eater. Did you see the freaking size of that freaking sword? Mm-hmm. Someone has got freaking sword in me. I mean, and then and then the guy you know who's playing it was I was watching the review and the guy makes a girl character and she sticks her hand, one hand her one dainty little hand and picks up this sword that's like three times bigger than she is. It was awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I get easily distracted when you talk about <laughs> swords. <laughs> Go on. So Mike. Pike, Pike's main uh, flavor comes from again. You get lots of choices that would be standard yes or no in other games, and here. Working Designs has embellished them quite a bit. Mm. I mentioned early on, Ika fixes you a meal, and you have a choice. Hmm, that was pretty tasty. Or, I'd rather eat toenail soup, I believe was the line they came up with. Nice. (laughs) And you you get choices of that ilk throughout the game. It doesn't really matter what you choose, but seeing how creative they got with the choices makes a difference. It makes a meaningless choice actually entertaining. Rather than just annoying. And let's see, Ika is your first ally, and she, well, I don't really remember why she fell in love with Pike, but she does. And she's your healer, and she's a decent attacker, and there you go, that's your character pretty much. I'm pretty sure TV Tropes has a a reasoning behind that. You know, you've got to have the the (laughs) healer white mage character fall in love, and got to love you. Yeah, well, of course. And she falls in love with whoever has the biggest sword. <laughs> Again, in the artwork, he doesn't have a huge sword. It's only two and a half, three feet long. Oh, well, that's all. And it's not enormous, and it's not stupidly wide, so clearly Jake is all about flexibility instead of crushing power. Didn't the lizard man have two swords? Yes, he did. Yes. Why lizard. didn't you fall in love with the lizard man? <laughs> but were they, were they bigger? Because it doesn't matter how many you have, it matters how big it is. I think they were about the same size as his, and he had two of them. I don't know. Yeah. Also, the, the dragon man Grizz, I should mention, has the only group healing ability, which will come in handy later in the game. I just find it odd that the, the dragon man with two swords you will be using to heal your group instead of attack most of the time. Yeah, that was that was weird. And then there's Amon, the uh, very flamboyant birdman, who apparently in Japanese was more than flamboyant. He was flaming. <laughs> and he uses a spear, and he has a magic pointless group attack that hits every enemy on screen most of the time, so he's good to have. Although you don't have any optional characters in the game, so it doesn't really matter... Whether a character is good, you're stuck with him. And in the first half of the game, you have Leos, the another sort of white mage, only she's more of a monk, so she uses her fists a lot. And in the second half of the game, you have Kia, who is a standard mage and has a very high-pitched voice in the few bits of spellcasting you hear her do. Do these characters have, like, their own deep background story, or are they just kind of, like, very shallow just to join the party and contribute to the main plot? You could sum them all up in a, in a paragraph, I think. 
these are not deep characterizations except for what working designs added as flavor. So um, one thing, one thing of note. I know you kind of mentioned initially when you were talking about the game that it's a side story to the first two Albert Odysseys that were released on uh, uh, the Super Famicom. I'm not sure if you were planning to talk about those. That'll be in the import corner. Okay, but they are just a brief little spoiler on that part. Totally different style of gameplay, right? Totally. Okay. And you won't recognize any characters from them because they take place in a much earlier time span and apparently nobody ever tried to use super magic at the end of this game to bring anybody back. It's for the best, really. The characters... No, no. <laughs> I'm saving this information. We also have a cast of antagonists in Albertus. I was about to ask, what about the villains? Well, there's Balin, or Balin, whatever you want to call him. He's a big, muscle-bound dude who likes to hurt people. Uh, there's Krishna, who has a whip, likes to wear red leather, and likes to use the whip on you. There's... Rachessa, who really likes Belnard, and aside from that, well, she only appears once and you beat the crap out of her. <laughs> Belnard, you meet a couple of times before you beat the crap out of him, then you beat his boss, who happens to be one of a trio of mystical entities who did not appear in the original Albert Odyssey games. The, one of them, the sister of this trio, turned into a sword that Pike has been using through the first half of the game. Uh, one of the brothers is just an enigmatic guy who walks around and gives sage advice. And the third one, whose name I can't remember right now, is your antagonist in the first half. Now, forgive me if I've zoned out a bit. Did you already talk about the talking sword? Briefly, but it sounds like you remember the talking sword Cirrus, so have at it. Oh, I'm just actually, I just started a new game and <laughs> I'm trying to catch up and remember what's going on and I just woke up after apparently my parents being slaughtered by a bunch of beast men of some sort. And And then you're adopted by Laia, the harpy lady. Yeah, and I couldn't tell a thing that was going on because apparently that first interactive in-game scene that's not a cut scene but is non-interactive is totally voiced with no subtitles. So I have no idea what was said. (laughs) But Well... Working Designs added those voices. I don't think there was any voice acting in the introduction for Japan. Really? There's little little voice clips in battle, but I've listened to the compilation of every voice clip from battle in the game, and it lasts under a minute. So they didn't have any of those, like, the the voice narration? Nope. At certain parts of the game? Wow. Well, that was a nice touch that they added in. I just tried to leave my bedroom without equipping my sword, and the sword stopped me and says, you better you know, equip me now if you're going to go downstairs, because apparently I'm going to have a boss fight downstairs. The <laughs> sword knows all. It is all. And apparently I'm quite a snorer, or Pike is, not me. Yep, that see, sounds like the beginning of the game. Yeah, see, that's one thing I remember. Is I played this back when it first came out. Uh, which was when? 98? 97? Okay. And I can't remember exactly where I got to in this, but I got to a point and got to some kind of boss battle and was just so frustrated with it. 
I had no patience and just said, you know, forget this, and ended up never coming back to it. I think I know which boss you might be referring to. Mr. Apps, do you remember when you enter a cave right after Novia and her friends have defeated a gigantic guardian and its hand comes after you? It and sounds... Hmm? It, it sounds very familiar. That hand fight, I remember, simply because it likes to paralyze you, and the paralysis works on usually four of the five people in your oh, party. Oh, God. Oh, God, now I remember that. <laughs> See, I don't... I, I might not even been that far. I'm not sure how far in that in the game it is, that part, but I That's remember... not long after the second half begins. You know, I'm trying to go off a memory from 1997, which my memory is not that good. But it seems like there was some giant bird that flew overhead, and my party got ambushed by somebody out in the middle of nowhere, and there was a boss fight, and I don't think I'd saved, and I died, and no. Sounds like Belnard, because every time you find, you find him, he's flying. But that could very well be it. But yeah, based on that description, I would say Belnard. See, you know, this was in the time when I'd beaten probably a lot of the... I guess, I can't remember if I had a, a PlayStation by then or not. But I guess I'd probably gotten into some of the PlayStation RPGs. And I'm sorry. Well, there weren't many in early 90s. <laughs> no. It wouldn't not have been many early. good ones, at least. That's why I said I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, was Sukoden was it out by then? Yeah, that would have been out. Yeah, that and maybe Vandal Hearts. I think I ended up playing those more than I did. Hey, Vandal Hearts was kind of cool. You had fountains of blood. <laughs> that was awesome. I love Vandal Hearts. Yeah, I still so, got those. Those are those are like one of the six PlayStation One games I still have. <laughs> I played it on Saturn. Did it have spurts of blood there too? Yeah. Awesome. Go Vandal Hearts. Okay, so let's, let's tilt back to Albert. Yeah, let's. <laughs> yeah, that's another combat, podcast. The combat system of the game is pretty basic. If you've played turn-based standard RPGs before, you'll know exactly what's going on here. And standard leveling progression, as in, yep. you know, yeah, game's just good. So as you level up, the game's going to assign you a couple of attributes, maybe, and uh, spells as necessary, like a la Deep Dragon Quest. Yep, you learn spells as you level, and that's the only way. Yay! <laughs> and the visuals are pretty... It would be really, really nice for Super Nintendo, but on Saturn, they're they're all right, and the Saturn was better at handling sprites than the PlayStation most days anyway, but the graphics are not going to wow anyone. Boo! <laughs> yeah, it clearly looks like a Super Nintendo RPG with a little bit of... A little bit better quality. Yeah, a few of the later spell animations, like Stardust in particular, are beyond the Super Nintendo's capabilities, but that's less than 1% of the game. Well, plus the sound effects and music and all that are a lot nicer than you'd find in most Super Nintendo games. That's true. The music uh, uses a lot of live instruments, which the Super Nintendo was not going to do. Yeah. So... Um, so you, you, you kind of talked a little bit about how when you're walking around the town and whatnot that there uh, 
that the, the, the at least the reply options that you have and some of the quips that you get back uh, are pretty funny. Um, were there was there anything else about the interaction portion of the game that jumped out at you as being original or stand out standing out? It was really effective, but nothing so awesome that I think back and go, man. More games needed to use that equipment system. It yeah. was just really good at the time, but no, uh, no uh, mini games or anything funny like that. No. Yeah, everything was pretty much just standard. Just I'd say, well done, but nothing exceptionally original. This is what you call standard JRPGism. Yeah, <laughs> with long load yeah, times. Done. I noticed in the translation notes that working designs helpfully reduce the load time for battles. It's still very noticeable in the game, but think how effective it is to reduce the load time and also increase the experience yield you get from battle, which will save you some time. So it's effectively done, but nothing that's going to make you throng for, uh, long for combat at every pace, thinking to yourself, I just need another random battle because this is un... This is the best. Awesome. Battle system, right? <laughs> no, It's a solid, effective battle system that does nothing particularly innovative, even by the standards of 1997. What, uh, what's, what's the most memorable element of this game that sticks out in your mind? Mr. Cunningham. Apparently nothing, because uh, <laughs> having to go back and replay it right now, I don't remember much of anything right now. Um, I guess I wasn't as nearly as big a fan of Albert Odyssey as I was uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth and some of the other Saturn RPGs that, we're talk- that we've talked about or are going to talk about. And this is out of the five that I have. What about you, Mr. Abs? Whatever. Uh, for me, I think just you know, being able to walk around and talk to the different townspeople to see what they had to say. You know, I mean, even now in a lot of games, that's in a lot of cases pretty boring. So it's nice to have a game where, you know, you found a lot of surprising and funny dialogue, even if it wasn't necessarily in the original version of the game. It, do- it does remind me of a lot of the dialogue from Lunar. So you could really tell that Working Designs was behind this. You know, you've got the guard at the gate telling you, you know, he hopes you go and find this uh, this one girl because she's a hottie plus. <laughs> nice. Boy, did you hear that ESRB? Oh, nice. So uh, what about you, Mr. Minky? The translation. <laughs> as, a, as a game, it's certainly effective, but it's nothing I just couldn't get enough of, even though I did do a little mindless grinding for a while and in an effort to uh, tackle. There's a sudden difficulty spike in, near, in the middle of the second half and the bosses are quite capable of ripping you apart unless you do some grinding. Do you... Oh, go ahead. There's also the last dungeon of the game, which Mr. Cunningham would not remember, but Mr. Apps probably would, is enormous compared to the rest yeah. of Yeah. It's a gigantic maze that will take you several hours to find your way through. Yeah, I think I only completed the game once, and uh, it was a struggle. 
it's taken me long enough to find out how to get out of the first village. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine the final dungeon. Come on. Would, uh, would, what would you say is the most glaring weakness, Mr. Minky? It doesn't have any st- particularly glaring weaknesses unless you want something that screams of originality at every, at every step, in which case you will probably put it down once the plot thins a little bit and leaves you to fight more often. But it, it's still nothing bad, simply uh, not sublime. Now, I'm taking a look at uh, eBay and Half.com, and I'm seeing this guy go for anywhere between 25 and and 100 bucks, depending on uh, condition and seller rep and all that other fun stuff. Do, uh, do you think that's worth the purchase? If somebody I has certainly enjoyed my time with it, if you and have... I've managed to play it more than once, which means yeah. I got good value out of it. Yeah, if you have a Saturn and you don't have this game and you like Japanese role-playing games, which would be one reason to have a Saturn. Yeah, give it a shot. Yeah, I'd say it's if you. I wouldn't pay a hundred, but I mean, if you get it for around the price of new games go for today, I'd say that's a fine value. And to answer the question you asked, uh, Minky, uh, I think the biggest fault that I can find in this game is just with its. It's pretty middle of the road. I mean, that's it's nothing you can really fault it for. Because, I mean, it is what it is, but you just can't expect it to be up to par with, you know, top-notch stuff nowadays. But, I mean, you can't complain about it either. It is a fairly solid Japanese RPG. Yeah, and it says something that it still plays solidly now, considering how many games from that era have aged much worse. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Fair enough. Although there is at least one person on our forums who claims that this is uh, the best RPG on Saturn, or at least his favorite, which I cannot agree with at all. I wouldn't put this in the upper echelon of anything. But, uh, if (laughs) hey, if they like it, more power to them. Who am I to tell you you can't like something? (laughs) Yeah. Personal taste is the, the great... Randomizer. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. Mm-mm-mm. Well, uh, speaking of randomizing and whatnot, we're, we're going to pick a random tune, take a break for just a few moments, and we'll be right back to talk about the uh, second game on our list. Here on our on our list of dynamic duo RPGs on the um, Sega Saturn is made Magic Knight Ray Earth, right? Yes. Yes. And there are some behind the scenes stories to this before we even start talking about the game. Because it was originally supposed to be released with some of the first Saturn games that were localized in nineteen ninety five. And then it became a symbol of working designs. Um 
inability to meet release dates when it was actually <laughs> the last English game to be released on the system. I wouldn't say that was a sign that, you know, by then the Sega CD had been out a while. I'm pretty sure they'd already solidified there. So. Before we jump into the big stories, let's give it its proper introduction. This is developed by Sega, published by Working Designs, and uh, this is uh, was released on December 14, 1998 here in North America, which was more than three years after the Japanese release. This is a single-player action RPG experience rated T for Teen, and I love how on the front of the box it even has it in gold letters, Action RPG, because that's the selling point. They don't want you to miss out on that. <laughs> So, okay. So, tell us a story about this release schedule here. Why did it take it more than three years to get here? That is an excellent question. Let's see if the translation notes say anything about it. Ah, yes. Fast forward almost 30 months. It took us the bulk of this time to overcome problems with approval for the English version's names... Data that was missing from the hard disk crash, and various programming and version problems that became apparent in the course of conversion. For these and other reasons, this has been, without doubt or question, the most grueling conversion we have ever attempted. <laughs> but Man. it's done. And your would... extreme patience as a Saturn owner has been rewarded now that you have it in your possession. I'll say this much. I wish every, every Japanese role-playing game came with translation notes like this because this is fascinating stuff now reading it back in the day i wouldn't have cared i probably just glanced over this i was like translation notes what was that but now that i know what i do about you know the process that these games take i would love to read about every one of them but that's just yeah, that's, one craziness. Thing, that's one thing working designs was really good at supplying information about what was changed and what the company went through to bring it over I'm going to sit down and read all of these once this podcast is over. <laughs> wish they'd like go back and write a book about all the translations they did. I'm sure there's a lot more information that they couldn't fit into these little translation notes. And just another off-topic off question. Am I correct in saying that they had different versions of the discs? You had different characters on different discs? like on the, the artwork of the CD itself. I believe you are right. I have one with Umi on it. Uh, you might have one with Fu or Hikari. Or Hikaru I, have, I have Hikaru. Okay. Then, yes, they had three different discs with each of the main characters on one. Do you have this one, Mike? Apps. I'm currently pulling out my disc. Hold on. I actually had to get my disc replaced at some point. Oh, no. Because it got scratched, and luckily they were... Ugh. Able to, I don't think I they charge us anything for getting it replaced. About to say, if you have food, then that just makes us a little team, doesn't it? <laughs> I have the blonde-haired girl. I don't remember. That's food. Oh, yep. well, there you go. That is weird. Little trio. <laughs> Probably got the only three copies. No. Okay. <laughs> and yes, since we mentioned it in this in the intro, I should uh, say that. Had Working Designs brought over everything it planned for the Saturn, we would have seen, at the very least, Lunar Silver Star in English on the system. But uh, apparently, Sega's management and Working Designs had a significant disagreement that caused plans to short-circuit. Yeah. That's one way to put it. Oh, Sega. 
always something. Yes, I think uh, Bernie Stolar switched from Sony to Sega, and that was a big part of it. <laughs> right, Anybody who remembers about... his name remembers that he was not exactly a friend to RPGs. No. So what about no. the, uh, the the game itself? What do you remember about that? I'll just put it in. I'm playing now, too. So <laughs> This is live-action podcasting. <laughs> well, for most of the game, you have the choice of switching between any of the three at any time. Fu uses arrows and can attack from a distance. Hikaru has a swipe attack with her sword. And Umi has a pierce attack, which also happens to be the strongest. And they each have different magic moves. So is this like E7? I'm forgetting. I remember I liked this one and played it all the way through. Uh, since I have yet to play E7, I cannot tell you what it, whether it, it is. It's kind of like... It is, it is kind of like E7, yeah. And then I actually remember, I remember beating this game over at my girl, uh, I guess it, she's my wife now, but girlfriend <laughs> at the time. I'd taken my Saturn over there for some reason and was playing it and beat it over there. It was kind of cool, except for the cutscenes where the characters are kind of naked, <laughs> but not really. <laughs> I don't well, know if you know what I'm talking about, but our uniform. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, when they change uniforms or whatever, they kind of get yeah, un- strategically undressed. Yeah, they don't have all the anatomical parts, thankfully. So it's not <laughs> like child porn or borderline as is. It's kind of freaky. But well, uh, having read the manga, I can tell you that it's faithful to that. Clamp, for whatever reason, did things like that. And when you remember that Clamp is a team of all women, it becomes even more interesting. Wow. That's very interesting. (laughs) But yeah, it's an action RPG. And I remember... I've never been a huge fan of action RPGs. It's never been my thing. I don't care much for the hack and slash kind of thing. And it takes a really engaging one to kind of get my attention and I know that East Games really did that just recently but remembering back on this I think that's one thing I liked was the multiple characters uh, strategy you could put into it by swapping around it, it was just fairly engaging it wasn't just your standard one character thing and that's one thing I really loved about it so it's not just you know so it's also character. very forgiving with jumps which is very good in an action RPG yes 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 And any time you throw platforming or something into it, it can be a recipe for disaster pretty quick. And this is one of those where if you manage to find a whole bunch of amulets, which I did once upon a time, and then my Saturn uh, RAM got erased by old age, so I have to do it again sometime. But if you find all these hidden items, then you get to unlock the the sound test of outtakes that work in designs to, which is, as usual, amusing. I never oh, unlocked that. I didn't even know that was there. Yeah, it's there. Oh. I think the saddest thing about these games is the fact that there's never going to be any way to play these any other way except the original system. Because, I mean, like we talked about when we did the Panzer Dragoon podcast, I think a lot of these would do great nowadays in some kind of remade form, maybe a portable system, something like that. And I just, um, I hate the fact that we probably will never see anything, you know, without it being a complete, total, ground-up remake. 
And then it wouldn't have the charming voice acting that they put into the original. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that... Uh, Can't tell if it's sarcasm. <laughs> no, but no, I'm serious. For the time, that was good voice acting. I mean, when when uh, the most I had really seen of voice acting in video games at that time was like Resident Evil. I mean, this <laughs> game was like brilliant. Yeah, but one thing Working Designs did for the English release, which cheesed some people off, is in the Japanese version, apparently every line in the game was voiced. Oh. Whereas in the English version, most of it's been cut, and you get instead the girls talking, having an optional diary feature where they narrate everything that's been happening to them, which is cool, I guess, but it doesn't quite match having everybody in town talk to you. No. And I was going to mention, uh, with regard to porting Saturn games, uh, apparently if you've lost the source code for a Saturn game, that's it. You can't port it. And most Saturn games have long since lost their source codes from the original developers. That's that, a shame. Just, that just blows my mind how source code for an entire game that is, you know, companies like, mm, just lost. What kind of backup procedures did they have? I'd say back then, and just knowing Japanese development, knowing the fact that they don't have tools that they use, they don't typically, you know, do processes as much as start a game over completely from scratch. And that's one problem I think the whole Japanese industry really needs to grab hold of, and some developers have. Instead of just starting with a toolkit that you work on and you build projects with, they, you know, just do everything from scratch. It's a brand new engine. Everything's using the new engine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why it's interesting to see some developers step out and do things uh, using, like, Unreal. I know Mistwalker or some groups like that did, but I'd say with this kind of stuff, they really did just have the one project. They weren't... They didn't have versions of things. They probably just had this one thing, and, you know, just reading the translation notes between... uh, that Working Designs did... It, it might have really just been on one person's computer. Jeez. I mean, and back what, in, you know, back in 97. Like a hard, cra- hard drive crash. And that's the whole problem, you know. Yeah. This was back in early 97, too, and, you know, computers weren't as free and forgiving as they are nowadays. You know, the, the expenses of having a computer that was probably capable of holding a good amount of data and capable of doing a lot of stuff, it probably wasn't cheap. You know, I, I guess I had my first personal computer, like a Pentium 166, back in 96 or 97. And, you know, expensive as that was for a home PC, I can't imagine, you know, having to have large hard drives and oh. all that stuff. And it probably was really, you know, crazy and cutting edge, especially for a company that's probably not that huge. I'm not sure. You know, Sunsoft did develop quite a or I guess this is Sega, um, did develop quite a few things back then, but still, you know, it's hard to say what team was working on this, and when they were done, they, they might have had to just purge the hard drive. Okay, game's over. Oh. Time to purge this, and, you know, we've made our master CD. We don't need anything else. Oh, America wants it? Uh, too bad. Hmm. I'd really, really love to talk to some people that did development back then, just to kind of see the whole process that took place, and what exactly the problems they did run into were. Now, I've heard 
it's kind of indeterminate, but uh, Rieko Kodama, remember her from the Fantasy Star and Skies of Arcadia development teams? Mm-hmm. I have heard in some circles that she was responsible for a fair amount of Magic Knight Ray Earth, but then I've heard that she wasn't, depending upon the source you look at. So it's hard to say, but I think she was involved with this game at some level. Yeah. Why it's so good. <laughs> yeah, and unless you had you know good solid documentation or somebody making some kind of reference to it, it was hard to really keep track of who was developing what back then. It wasn't something that was really highly publicized a lot of times, unless you dug through the credits. Well, you know, so we've I've... skirted around this issue a bit. We haven't even d- talked about the plot of Magic Knight Ray Earth. Oh, yeah. Dig in. <laughs> Mr. Apps, sounds like you're chomping at the bit. Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could say a little bit. Um, I can tell you the first little part of it. You've got these, you know, you've got these three students in Tokyo, and from... What I vaguely remember, they're walking around this uh, tower, a shop, and they go up to the roof, and you meet all three of your little buddies, or, or all three of the little girl buddies are together. Um, start chasing a dog, and something strange happens, and they wind up transported to some kind of world, and they think it's a dream, and they're like, what are we doing here? You know, what, what is this strange place? And uh, there's one cutscene between uh, when that happens where you see this villain and he's like, oh, I've got to unleash this ancient evil or some crap like that because <laughs> that's pretty much all the villains do back in you know these RPGs. And, yeah. uh, that's about as vague and as pointless as I can get. <laughs> yes, it is. I would ask for a little less specificity, but I'm not sure that's possible without great effort. Very true. Okay, let's see here. What do I remember? Uh, The plot of the Saturn version of Magic Knight Ray Earth is similar to the anime and the manga and a couple other versions of it. Seriously, Magic Knight Ray Earth saw a lot of adaptations, but it also has some differences. There are some side characters added in the towns here, but the overall plot of Hikaru, Umi, and Fu, three Japanese junior high students who are sucked into the magical land of Sephiro, where they are tasked with defeating the the evil Zagat, or Zagato, depending on which translation you read. It's been written different ways in different places. Who has kidnapped the princess of Sephiro, whose wishes and hopes keep the entire world going, which seems like a design <laughs> flaw, but never mind. Well, they've got to take him down because he... Well, he kidnapped her. And instead of Zagat or Zagato again fighting you right off, instead he sends his minions at you. First you fight Alcyon, then you fight... uh, What's his face? Ascot. Yes, one of the minions is named for a piece of clothing. You fight Kaldina, you fight Inova, you fight Rafarga. Although Rafarga is at first not a villain. He is, in fact, under mind control at certain times. And then at the end, you fight Zagat, only to learn, and this is the twist of the game, that Zagat did not kidnap her. He was protecting the princess because they had fallen in love, which is completely against the code of the princess since it means that her wishes and hopes are focused on a single person instead of the entire world. 
And once you have killed him, she wants to kill you because you just killed her beloved. Oh, man, I hate when that happens. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I remember it having an interesting twist like that or something at least out of the norm. Interesting is a good word for it. Also, the very end of the game, when you fight Zagat again after beating him the first time and when you fight the princess, the gameplay completely changes. Instead of an action RPG, now it plays like a shoot-em-up. See, that I'd forgotten. Yeah, I remember that. I did not particularly enjoy that. <laughs> well, I thought it was nice as a change of pace at the very end of the game. Uh, I suppose. Especially since the princess is in one of those gigantic machines that you get to blow to pieces, <laughs> my favorite, which I've always liked. <laughs> but yeah, one of the nice things about this game is that the side characters get enough development to make them feel like real people instead of just ciphers. And that may come from me having paid a lot of attention to this story. I did watch most of the anime, and I did read the manga once upon a time, so I was very familiar with it, and thus some of the changes made here. In this game, most of the villains die because you have killed them, whereas in the other versions they live, so that they can show up later in the story. But uh, it's still, for most of the running length, a seemingly standard there are some teenage girls and they're going to save the world story. Although Fu, being something of a nerd, actually mentions wait, we can't be fighting someone this powerful this early on. That's not the way these games work. <laughs> I'll tell you the one way these games do work. Having played both of them, or at least trying to play both of them over the past hour that we've been doing this podcast <laughs> it seems like that I I haven't even gotten to the battle system in either <laughs> there's so <laughs> so wordy so much dialogue so much stuff that not even had a chance to push one button to fight not in either game <laughs> I started both of them as soon as we started talking about them and have yet to get to a battle <laughs> so that's just part of the day, or part of the genre, I guess, back then. Is they were a lot more wordy. You had to have a lot more patience. Yes. Yeah. I just met somebody named Cliff. Yep, he's the Grand Wizard of Sephiro, who attempts to imbue the girls with some power, only Zagat cannot allow that, so he has to be turned to stone. But he's such a powerful wizard that even though he's turned to stone, he can still think things to you. This is a really cool anime cutscenes. That's one thing that's nice about this. And I guess I hadn't really done much anime back then, so it was kind of unique for me. Yeah, back in the mid-90s, anime wasn't nearly the beast it would become outside Japan. I think the only thing I'd seen by that point was Sailor Moon. Well... This let's not bring Sailor Moon, Moon into Prism yeah. Power, and only only because my sister watched it. Let's let's be clear on that. <laughs> Moon Prism. I watched Sailor Moon. I admit it. I'm not exactly proud of it, but I watched it. I watched it too. I was not forced into watching it. I'll admit it. Moon Prism. I watched that <laughs> terrible, terrible dub. Uh. 
But again, Sailor Moon, let's not bring it into the discussion of Magic Knight here. Yeah, agreed. Fair. So let's see. I also found that most of the levels were pretty well designed. They're not outstanding to the point where I went, this is the greatest action RPG ever. But they certainly didn't wear out their welcome, and they changed the, the venue often enough to keep things interesting and... The challenges, the enemies changed enough that you never got bored. Absolutely. It was definitely a, I'd say, a well-paced game, even if it did get a little too chatty at times. It's well-paced once you actually get into it, maybe. <laughs> exactly, yes. It, 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 I will say it's very slow at the beginning. I remember that very... Once you start the actual playing part. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm waiting on. Please! <laughs> Keep waiting. <laughs> well, I don't think game intros have gotten much less chatty over the years. No. But playing, uh, what was it I popped in the other day? I just bought it from the store um, for the PSP. Oh, my God. Tales of the... Did you get Trails in the Sky? Thank you. Trails in the Sky. And I'm pressing and I'm pressing. And okay. this is cute. This is interesting. When do I get to fight crap? Come on now. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, it, it's a good example of it though, because the story's the key to that game, and the battle system just grows on you, and it becomes this grand masterpiece of combat, mixed in with this wonderful narrative that is not completely cheesy and cliched, but beautiful and perfect in every way. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been a mini review of Trails of the Sky brought to you by Matt Cunningham. <laughs> I mean there is a reason okay. people keep talking about that game. I had a I had a You'll get to it. I had a friend who who played it. I didn't I didn't buy it when it came out or anything. I was probably going to let it pass up, but um, I had a friend who played it and he wrote it. He likes to write reviews uh, on the side and he wrote a long review, but I go straight down to the bullet points at the bottom and he said um you know, you should buy this game if, and number one was like, you think RPGs are too short, if you think their stories are too shallow, and if you think their <laughs> battles aren't strategic enough. And I'm like, ding, 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 yes! And I went out and I bought it. <laughs> nice. And see, that's one thing, too, is I don't think that one's too short, but I'll just... Uh, that, that's what he I don't was think saying. It's, I don't think it's too long. Yeah, it's not that it's too long, but, you know, some... You know some some of the you know RPGs that come out these days. Not not a lot of them, but there there there's a subset out there that comes out that feels that it's either too brief or at least the story. I should say that the story's too too brief. Uh, him and I talk all the time about how a lot of RPGs, and this is probably a, an RPG sanctum topic, but a lot of RPGs feel well. We did have a topic about it. They talk uh, feel like they could have actually been done in about three hours. <laughs> uh, but the rest of the other 37 hours is filled with monotonous grinding that you have to get through or, mm-hmm. you know, pointless dungeons that really don't contribute to the plot or anything like that. Um, other than the games that are just, you know, incredibly too short. But this game, he, he, he's, in, he's implying that the, that the quality of the content and the mechanics and whatnot actually do make this worth, you know, not only is it a 40 plus hour game or whatever have you, but you actually feel like it deserves to be a 40 plus hour game. Yeah. Falcom knows what they're doing. Yeah, but I, I'm a recent convert to a Falcom fan, but I have yet here. to play so, a so game. So does that mean that... you're both going to import Brandish and play it on the PSP? Probably. No. no. <laughs> I would probably do that. Uh, they, they, I'll just say they know what they're doing. 
I don't know if I could do brandish. <laughs> I like, uh... <laughs> Let's steer it back to Magic Knight Ray Earth and mention that, especially considering this came out with the earliest Saturn games, it still looked pretty good in, 90, in 98. Oh, it looked great. I mean, it's just fantastic 2D. I mean, probably better than the late 2D RPGs you'd see on the PlayStation. Well, the PlayStation and 2D didn't get along very well. That's true. But still, I mean, it was a really good-looking game. It seems like the Saturn, the Saturn, the Saturn did a good on. job of being an advanced, you know, Super Nintendo. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, kind I, of the successor, and it really could have been had it been supported better. Or maybe and had Sega done a better job its launch. Sega! But yeah... Saturn development, I remember being Sega wanted a, a machine that was really, really strong in 2D. It got that. And then mm-hmm. the PlayStation was demoed in, in Japan, and Sega immediately threw its developers back into a room and said, We need to make this thing do 3D. And thus, uh. one of the most difficult to develop for machines ever created was made because, yeah, you can do 3D on the Saturn if you know what you're doing, which most developers couldn't be bothered to try very hard. Even some of Sega's developers. <laughs> but there are yeah. some decent 3D games on the Saturn if you look. Burning Rangers has some pretty good 3D. The Panzer Dragoon series. Yes, and the and Shining Force 3 has some good 3D in the combat actions. But anyway, aside from the visuals of Magic Knight Ray Earth, which held up very, very nicely, uh, what about the sound aside from the mostly optional voices now? The thing I remember the most is the uh, the opening movie when you first fire up the game. I think that was the first game because I I didn't end up playing Lunar till later, but it was the first game I played that had like singing for this opening movie, and that was just something I'd never seen in a game before. Even if it's a bit corny. <laughs> Again, I watched the anime, so this well it. Since it's so truncated on the Saturn, it doesn't have enough time to build up adequately, but it's still decent animation for the time. Tell me what you mean by mostly optional voice acting. Well, again, in the Japanese version, apparently every line of dialogue was voiced, including all of the villagers in town. Uh, Whereas here, aside from a few major plot events, like the beginning, the end, and a few bits along the way, instead, the girls fill in their diaries as the game progresses where they describe their reactions to what's been taking place and you can listen to that and in the translation notes I presume it was Vic Ireland who wrote them mentions that some of the people in the test audiences were unhappy at how the pace was being slowed down by the mandatory voice acting and this was the impetus behind removing it from most of the game ooh so you can audiences so yeah, there's your reasoning. What it would have been like with with voice acting all the way through, we'll never know. The only way to do it is to import the Japanese version and see what it's different. Who are these test audiences, and where can I get their phone numbers and addresses? Uh, you would have to look at addresses in Reading circa mid-90s, and I don't think they would be accurate anymore. Oh, darn it. I have you know been to Reading. Cool? There's no reason to stay there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I wonder? In the back of both of these manuals, I still have the little uh, 
customer card that you can <laughs> cut out and send in. Whatever <laughs> so so address is that is now. I think yeah, I'm going to send it in to whoever. I have to wonder if Vic Ireland still gets these things and just He's, gloats yeah. over them. He's still around. I doubt that sending it to that address would get to him anymore. But uh, who knows? Maybe he just kept that same building or wherever they had their offices, and that's where he's been living ever since and kind of running Gaijin Works or whatever it is out of the... I don't know if he's still in Reading, but that's where Working Designs is based. Yeah. Oh, well. And again, Reading is... Well, it's a few hours from me, but it's still close enough to be in the middle of nowhere. So, um, uh, let's wrap this one yeah, up. Yeah, Mr. Apps, do you remember anything else that I'm not addressing in the game? Uh, I'm trying to think. I The one thing I remember about this game is the villains were so well-developed that I actually felt bad when they died. And I can't think of too many other games where that was the case. Yeah, actually, Alcyone, the one you see at the beginning, but you don't actually fight. Her, Which one's that? She the one with the flaming the, horse? Yes, the the magician with a leotard and not much else who loves Zagat. She, okay, yeah, I'm checking her out right now because she's attacking Clef. Yeah, when you when she dies, it's actually rather poignant because she has just learned that Zagat is not in love with her and never will be, and she just took a nasty injury in the last fight with her. So she chooses, instead of healing herself, to fight you again and die instead of any other course. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think those kinds of moments in the game were actually more memorable than, you know, the overall story. Well, yeah, we, we described the overall story. Mr. Yes, Cunningham exactly. In his, in his beautiful, vague, superfluous way. <laughs> what? Which I got out of a, a few minutes of playing. <laughs> <laughs> so wrapping this up, what what's the what's the thing that stands out most to you about this game? What's the elements? We talked a lot about love. We were kind of all over the board, but what is the one element, the one selling point that really makes this game stand out? I'll go. I'll say that. I remember the battle system being fun and the fact that you had multiple characters. And it it kind of gave it a fun action RPG vibe. You had, you know, just kind of whimsical characters in here. It wasn't something that took itself too seriously. And if I could actually get to a battle, which I'm still not at, even though I'm pressing A and not reading any of the dialogue, um, I would confirm that. But I'm going to at least say that that was probably my favorite part because I remember enjoying that about it at the time and I, I really wish I'd you know maybe started it two hours ago so I could at least have been through one battle by now <laughs> if only I'd started this at breakfast time I might be at a battle right now <laughs> instead you were eating dinner or something what's with that oh, no. <laughs> how dare I how dare you take care of your body silliness so um what about you Mr. Apps well I mean at that time, for you know, like action RPG type games outside of like uh, you know 
playing Link to the Past again or, you know, some old Super Nintendo games. There really wasn't that much out there. Uh, was Alundra out by then? I can't remember, but I mean... Uh, it's... You know, I have to look that up just a second. Let me see. <laughs> Let me look at the Alundra manual and see what it says. Oh, it says 97, so it actually came out before... Long before right. Magic Knight Ray Earth. Well, there you go. So other than Alundra, which I don't think I had a... I definitely did not have a copy of. You know, there wasn't a lot to fill that kind of action RPG niche. And, you know, this really hit the money for me. And it's just a, it's a simple, fun action RPG. It's charming characters. It was, it, you know... I like I don't it better know what than Alundra, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, now before I say my piece... Was this worthy of being the final English Saturn game? Yes, absolutely. It, it's no. everything. <laughs> I think it's everything that was good about the the Saturn. You know, just lots of great. Well, 2D. I can think of of two better yes. choices that could have been scenario yes. two and three of a certain game. That was my answer. Other since than we don't those, have that option. Other than those, okay, I'll agree. It wasn't bad because I did enjoy it. It was better than if Burning Ranger was the final Saturn game. Yeah. If, or, if I had to choose between this and anything other than Shining Force 3, then I guess I would pick this. Yeah. Well, I can think of a number of good imports from on the Saturn, Bakken Rotor, uh, Terra Fantastica, Princess of Crown, but this is not a disappointment that everyone who bought it would go... This is the last Saturn game? No, no. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this. When was the last time you played like a licensed game based on an anime or something else that was that good? That's, That's a good point. Good at all. Yeah. <laughs> 1912? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I... right around the time you were getting off the Titanic, right, Phil? <laughs> right. Now, Mage, so Magic Knight Ray Earth, at least the English version is going between about 100 and 240 bucks. Is really? It? It oh my is. god. It, I didn't pay that much for it and I got it on <laughs> eBay. There is there is brand. one auction right now for $70 that has 7 hours left. Um let me see what the shipping is on it, but it doesn't have any bids yet, so it's feasible somebody could snatch it up in the sub 100 range. But there doesn't seem to be any other uh, copies on sale at the moment aside from the Japanese ones. And the, the uh, half.com ones are going for like 100 bucks uh, to 250. Okay, wow. yes. In the completed listings, I see one that sold for $90, another that sold for $102. Sweet. So there you go. Now, is it worth $100? Oh, and a couple that are in the 75 to 65 range. Or is it worth $75? Uh, see, I'll, I'll let Mike answer that because <laughs> as with all of my Saturn <laughs> games, I actually bought all of my Saturn games at retail with a 10% discount from being a GameStar uh, EB employee at the time. So I can say it's worth what I paid for it. Oh my goodness, I'm in battle. <laughs> Stop Yay. the presses. Mr. Minky, is it worth well, 75 bucks? Again, I didn't pay that much for it. I have enjoyed it. It's quick and short enough that you can play through it more than once and not feel like you're wasting your time. But 75 bucks, that's a pretty <laughs> rarefied level for any game. And 
over $100 puts it close to a certain other game on the Saturn, which I would have to say you should own before this. Yeah. Um, and False Alarm, I actually just got to move on my own. Oh, jeez. For the oh. first time. I have not actually swung a sword. Are you in a forest? <laughs> I'm walking into somebody's house right now. Okay, that's a... probably Prescia, who will yeah. make weapons. Yeah, so... This podcast will end before I get into into combat. I You're almost there. It. Again, again I've seen this story there. in so many ways that I know it pretty well by now. <laughs> so, Ursia dies in the anime, but she doesn't in the games or the manga. Is the anime worth seeing? I liked it ten years ago, but whether that says anything now, I have no idea. I don't watch much anime, so. I don't well, know. if you like this story, check it out. It's a pretty faithful rendition. I'll say this much: I don't care much for the Saturn controller for an RPG or for an action RPG. The directional pad just leaves a lot to be desired. Oh, I only play Saturn now with the, that Knight's controller because that's all I have left. It is pretty easy to swap between characters. That's nice. Just one button, bam. All you don't right. have any magic yet, though. They have to learn their spells. <laughs> All right, Mr. Minky, you know what's up next, don't you? Hey, I didn't yep, get to say if I... We don't hmm? care about you, Mr. Apps. Oh. <laughs> Would you buy it at $75, Mr. Apps? Well, I got it for a birthday present since oh, my December. <laughs> but I would have paid $75 for it, yeah. So, Mr. Well, yeah, no. if the choice is, would you take this as a gift? I think most people would say yes. Absolutely. I... I you know, $75 is asking a little much, but, you know, those working design games go for a lot. So, um, I'd say it's worth it. You know, you could always, you know, if you're into, if you're into retro gaming, uh, and whatnot, and you're not necessarily, if you're a collector, you're, you're probably, probably going to go ahead and, and plunk down the $75 to get this in your collection. Cause it is a, a classic on the platform. Uh, it's a great game, and um, and it's definitely a piece of, an important part of that uh, of the Sega Saturn's history. If you're yeah, not one of, one of the first announced localized games, turned out to be the last. Yeah. If <laughs> how many other games on any system can say that? If you're not, not uh, if you're not a collector, but you have a Sega Saturn, go ahead and pick the game up when it's in the you know sixty to seventy five dollar range. Play through it, and you can always sell it back on eBay for about the same price, if not more. Yeah, and hey, it's Very true. about a third of the price of Panzer Dragon Saga. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, third of the price. <laughs> this is true. So, um, all right. So, Mr. Minky, what you know what's up next, right? Yep, but we have to take a little break first, don't we? We do, we do. But I wanted to give you a chance to prepare while our audience listens to these glorious tunes. We'll be right back. talked a lot in the last import corner and I'm going to talk a lot in this one too because 
As I mentioned, Albert Odyssey on Saturn is a side story from the first two Albert Odyssey games on Super Famicom. And Mr. Apps, people were asking you about hexagonal grids in tactical games, weren't they? Yeah, they certainly were, and I didn't have much in the response of games that include one of those. Wild Arms XF. Crossfire. Yeah, I think I mentioned that. I can that. tell you a game that predates that. Actually, two games, both of the yes. Albert Odyssey Super Famicom. Crazy. Yep. And the original Albert Odyssey is a very strange game to play now because it feels like a tactical RPG in which the entire world is a single battle map. Oh, that sounds so you, fun. So you march over it, you enter into towns along the way and get little bits of plot, and you can see every enemy from a distance and then kill them. And a few of them will reappear after you've you know scrolled away for a ways, but most of them won't. And that's fine, because you don't really need to grind in this game. Just kill everything you come across, and you'll be fine. Now, there are some technical issues with it that make it kind of annoying. First of all, hey, everybody remembers Mode 7, right? Mm. Yeah, that was awesome. Totally well, gnarly. Awesome? Well, then you think <laughs> it's totally radical that every time a character moves, the screen goes Mode 7 to spin around with each step you take. Oh, that made me nauseous. Oh, oh boy. That <laughs> sounds like no brandish. So you either get used to it or you barf. Ooh. Also, I mentioned that you can see every enemy, but there's a certain distance from beyond which you can't see, and until you move characters closer, you can't see beyond that area, which gets kind of annoying. It gets especially annoying if, say, you have one character far away and that person is actually far enough away that you can't scroll normally over there. That means you have to go into the submenu of start and manually switch control to the other character. And then you, unless you have moved that character very close to your others, then you can't touch them again without going to the submenu. It's kind of annoying, but it is interesting. Um, you can only control four people at a time, but you don't really need any more than that most of the time. Hmm. And, I also liked, especially for a game from 1993, the, the flexibility with your options. You can move, attack, and then move again, as long as you've got move range, and then you can use your spells. You're not done with a character until that character has done everything the character can do in a round. And your spells don't use magic points, which might sound cheap, but really, with the distances you're going to be covering, you're going to be very thankful for it. And another interesting thing is that your healer who's named Neumann. Don't ask, me, don't ask me why he's named Neumann. But if Albert, your hero, happens to die, that is not the end. You, your healer can revive him and then start healing him again. That's just a, a handy feature considering so many tactical games consider the death of the hero to be instant fail. Mm -hmm. That's and, an awesome gameplay mechanic, by the way. I love it when that's in a game. I love it when anything <laughs> except dying and getting the game over screens in there. Yeah. I never got booted back to anything because unless all of your characters die, which never happened to me, then you can still revive them. Sweet. And one very odd thing is that as the game goes on, the bosses, yeah, they have some large hit point meters and they're fairly powerful, though not insanely so. The statistic they excel in is move range, of all things. The last few bosses have move ranges of 50. 
which means, yeah. Even though the terrain makes it so that you're not actually moving 50 spaces because every square takes uh, two or three move range, that's still a good range. If the AI were smarter, then it would be more dangerous, but usually the bosses <laughs> won't move until the, you get fairly close. And there's a plot. It involves uh, there's an evil wizard named Oswald, and he killed Sophia's mom ten years ago, and now it's Ten years later, get fancy that, and Albert and Sophia and Neumann and Slay, Sophia's dad, are going out and fighting Oswald's minions. And then at the end, Oswald, after you've beaten the crap out of him, summons the evil Globus. And I thought, I thought Golan was going to be there, too, so that 80s schlockmeisters would be attacking you all the way. But no, it's just Globus, and you have to kill him twice. And... It's a, it's a decently challenging final boss, but nothing that you need to be afraid of. I was le- Everyone was level 16 at the end of the game, and I had no problems. I feel much more positively about Albert Odyssey now than I did right after finishing it. Because I've been playing Albert Odyssey 2, which is a worse <laughs> game. Oh. <laughs> yeah, remember how Albert dying in the first game didn't mean much? If Dean, your hero in Albert Odyssey 2, dies, you lose half your money and go back to the last save point. Well, Ooh. Dean is no Albert, that's for sure. No, really? He isn't. Dean? Dean, yes. That's, that's, that's his name. That's come up with? And Albert and Sophia job. actually join you eventually. You know, Albert's all of 26 now, and Sophia's 24. That means they're decrepit by JRPG standards. Yeah. Ooh, I just took uh, my first swing. <laughs> oh, jeez. Sorry. <laughs> but, yes, and Dean is also very perishable. Enemies like to attack him, and they will usually knock him down and kill him. And, yes, as you kill enemies, most of them will stay dead, but since save points are not liberally provided, you will have to walk a long ways through areas in which a few enemies will have reappeared. You will most likely have to kill them again because they will get in your way. And then you will go back to where you were, kill a few more enemies until Dean dies again, and then redo it. Right now, Dean has died 23 times. The game is nice enough to show that to you every time you see how many times Dean has died. And, yes, the fun just keeps going. Uh, Morse or morose, it could be translated either way, is your healer, and he has a spell that will revive people who have died, but it doesn't always work. Oh, and this game does use magic points. You get four, five, or six magic points per character. They get replenished upon level up, but if you can't do that, then you're screwed. And the enemies... I just found a an enemy that hits everything for two squares surrounding it with a powerful strike that likes to freeze them. And of course it will revive if you if Dean dies and you have to go through that area again. Uh yeah, I also levels made a big, big difference in the first game here. Dean starts with forty hit points, he's at level fourteen now and he has seventy five hit points. That shows you how much of a difference the levels make. So That's pretty awful. Yeah, neither of these has a translation. The first one is at least interesting. 
I can't really recommend it, but if you like file through the Super Famicom Obscure archives, then you'll find some interest. The second one is a, is a gigantic turd, and I can only <laughs> presumably beat it because, again, there's no game over. You just lose half your money, and hopefully you have enough to revive the people who also died because that costs money now, too. And had it come out in English, then everyone would have known what a steaming turd it is. So how did this ever get a third game? That's what I'm wondering right now. Well, it switched platforms. I'm going to guess that has something to do with it. And it's with eight styles. I was about to say, was it the same developer? Was They're all Sunsoft for all I, of them. But okay. I can't tell you whether it's the same team behind them. Right. It all was Sunsoft. Okay. Oh, and but the mode seven spinning is no longer present in the second game. There's that. It's one plus. <laughs> Not enough one. <laughs> yeah, and the battlefields are somewhat smaller, but that just brings up another horrific issue, which is Oh, Morse, he has a move range of four, but unless you're on a road, he can usually remove one space each turn. Oh, no. Because he has to go on harder terrain. And Dean is the only one who can go into new locations, and if anyone else has moved that turn, you can't do it. I've learned this the hard way. You must not do anything else if you want Dean to go into a town or a new dungeon. It's... Mm. Aggravating. Sounds glorious. Awesome! And while I'm talking about imports, let me go for another steaming turd, which is the Super Famicom version of Magic Knight Ray Earth, which is a standard RPG that plays like many, many other standard RPGs with random battles that you will win pretty much every time because the challenge is lacking and you will get bored very quickly. And then you will fight more random battles, which will never be challenging. So kind of like Albert Odyssey minus the translation. With an even more boring battle system. Um. I, actually, this has some of the most horrendous turn order I've ever seen. You'll see characters get two turns in a row. You almost never see that in turn-based stuff, but you'll see it here. Ugh. Did that game get a fan translation? Probably. I it's know some, turd, some, other, some other Magic Rig or game Though, did. of course, on the internet, there are people who will say that anything, no matter how lousy, is a good game. So I'm sure uh, that there are people who are probably who are listening to me saying this and going, No! That was a really good game, because I paid nothing for it, and I was able to play it while blindfolded, man. Because that's awesome. <laughs> That, sir, is a very true point. So, yeah, I will probably hear from someone on the forums who thought that Magic Knight Ray Earth and Super Famicom was an underrated gem that should have come out here. You can say that if you want. People don't make it true. Hmm. So, this is this has not been a very uh, positive import corner, but they can't all be when I have to do entries in series that's didn't necessarily deserve to see release elsewhere. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I, I think we need a little break to... Oh, to I re- should also mention that the Super Famicom Magic Knight Ray Earth was released in 1995, and it would be unimpressive looking for a first-generation Super Nintendo game. Ouch. Ouch. 
Yeah, in the year Chrono Trigger was released, in particular, just to compare the looks, this looks like, uh, well, sort of a cross between a decent-looking NES game and a sub-lousy Super Nintendo game. Not good. Sounds like what we now expect from licensed games. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is one of those licensed games that shows you why licensed games should usually be avoided. Yeah. Mm. So let's, um, with that thought in mind, let's take a teeny tiny whiny little break. So one of the new things I wanted to do with RPG Backtrack, we, we've tried different things with Blast of the Recent Past and PC Corner, putting them in, you know, for a while it was kind of like its own big, huge, long segment, then we've tried sticking it in its own separate show, and uh, we've had some mixed results with that, so now we're going to try a third way, because we're just bound to determine to talk about uh, some of the more recent games that came out exactly two years ago, as well as the PC games, and try and do this in a way that both entertains and gets some good information across. So uh, what we're going to do is just every show just have a short segment that uh, about a, a couple of games that came out a couple uh, two years ago, um, or a PC game uh, from further back in the past. Uh, this 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 evening we're going to do a blast from the recent past. We're going to talk about three games that came out roughly two years ago, or two or three games, depending on time. Uh, the first one is Night in the Nightmare. Now, is that the DS release that's on there, or the PSP, now that I think about yes. it? This would have been it's the DS, DS one. Would have been the DS one. Alrighty. So... Let's uh, pull it up really quickly. Knights of the Nightmare on the DS was developed by Sting Entertainment, published by Atlas in North America. This is a console RPG, real-time strategy, single-player experience, try saying that in one breath, released in North America on June the 2nd, 2009. And this is rated T for teen. So... Really a very – you know, Atlas games I, – I I love Atlas because they come out with these weird, quirky games that, uh, that are the opposite of cookie cutter, and, and you definitely get that with, with Knights and the Nightmare. So uh, who wants to talk a little bit about, uh, about the basic premise of this game and what makes it so much different than the other the, – the, the glut of, of RPGs on the DS? Hey. Mr. Apps. <laughs> How about that it's like no other game you've ever played? <laughs> it starts off with a genre that it's called a console art, you know, a console role-playing game, art, real-time strategy experience. Um, Which doesn't even begin to explain how you play this thing. It's a bullet hell tactical RPG. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you're, you're. I don't even know what you're. Pl- I don't even remember the story because I really didn't care. I was too busy playing. The, I just wanted control to control a wisp. Yeah, I'm controlling this. That's all I care about. I'm dodging bullets and and whatnot. Yeah, it's kind of like a bullet hell game that you do with your stylus and and uh, there's there's enemies on the board and uh, 
boy, this is really kind of hard. Dang, it, it just defies description. <laughs> <laughs> it really, really does. I mean, I read all kinds of different reviews and stuff before I played this game, and in no way did it prepare me for what I was about to play. I mean, you start off. You 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 start off with setting up your your characters that are going to be uh, on on the screen. So there is definitely some RPG element in in as you're developing these characters. You can do all kinds of funny things as far as leveling them up. And I can't remember all the mechanics involved because uh, I just kept wanting to get to the battles, and I pretty much ignored all the advice it was giving me about leveling up uh, various things and whatnot. Do you remember any of that? <laughs> Uh, the characters, like, uh, there's so many weird things. The, the weapons run out of, I don't, I don't remember what the stat was called, but eventually your weapons will wear out and you'll lose them. So you have to, like, combine weapons to increase how much vitality they have left. And the same thing with the characters. It's really complicated. You get, you get experience points and you got to distribute those guys out. Um... Uh, it, it's just um, <laughs> you got to equip them with weapons and, and stuff, and and that's one whole that in and of itself is a huge it's a huge part of the game. And like I said, it, and it's deep. It comes with a tutorial system, a multi-tiered tutorial system, and a lot of it is squared in, you know, on on the setup. And then you got to the tactic screen where you actually gotta, you know, set up your knights and your items and things like that uh, on the board. And and so in this case, it feels more like a tactical uh, RPG because you're looking at a grid and you're setting things up carefully um, and whatnot. But then in the when you get to the battle you, uh, and you're looking at this isometric grid, you're you're controlling this wisp with your stylus. It's a little ball of light, and uh, you're you're moving it around to give orders, to, uh, you know, to your units. You're uh, dodging all kinds of bulls that are flying across the screen. And what what happens on this when you get hit with a bullet? It's not that you lose life, but you lose time, right? I, I yeah. think yeah, because because you, you're trying to get everything done within a um, was it within a time limit or something? But I remember when you took damage, it affected the time. Well, I wouldn't really call it a time limit. It's it's not like something that is constantly counting down. Okay. When you when you like charge up an attack or get hit or things like that, it goes down. But it's if you're not being hit by anything or not charging anything, it's not like constantly decreasing. And and defeating enemies is is. Yeah, that's it's like playing tic tac toe. You're trying to line these things up, yeah, uh, and whatnot based on what's on the bottom of the screen with the with the kill markers and whatnot. It's just really hard in, in the in the in the time frame that we normally do these segments and to really explain this thing from top to bottom. But it is a very deep. It is a very quirky. And my time with it, I found was was very very fun. And it had I think uh, what, what were the reviews were pretty positive overall, weren't they? Relatively so, yeah. This ended up being our number five most loved DS RPG of all time. Oh, nice of you to point that. By the way, uh, real fast, Mister uh, Mister Cunningham, would you like to tell everybody about that? That that. Um, yeah, we just recently had a feature go up of the staff's favorite DS RPGs of all time, Rocket and Rocket. it was a huge undertaking where we had. I guess over 130 RPGs to choose from, and it got whittled down to our top 10. <laughs> or it, it was a long process. In addition to process. individual lists like the ones you and I wrote. 
Yeah, it it was even more complicated than just the top ten. But in the end, we had a a top ten ranked, and then ten honorable mentions, and just kind of given a quick list of the the top ten. Uh, number ten was Super Robot Tyson, OG Saga, Endless Frontier. Number nine oh, was yeah. Gold, Golden Sun, Dark Dawn. Number uh-huh. eight was Shin Megami Tensei, Devil Survivor. Number seven was Chrono Trigger for the DS. Number six was Dragon Quest Nine: Sentinels of the Starry Skies. Number five was, of course, Dragon or Knights in the Nightmare. Number four was Dragon Quest Heroes: Rocket Slime. Yeah. <laughs> Number three was recent 2011 release: Radiant Historia. Nice. I'm the only one on the site who's reviewed that so far. By the way, somebody else needs to get cracking. Number two was Might and Magic Clash of Heroes. Oh, I love that one. Ooh. That is awesome. And our top favorite game of all of DSRPGs was The World Ends With You. Oh, yeah. Absolutely a classic. Now, Phil, number one. Phil, I'm sure, will be ecstatic to learn that somebody wanted the Dark Spire to be on that list. <laughs> a very vocal person on our forums. Wasn't it their number one DS game? Yes, if I remember yep. correctly. Oh my goodness gracious! Okay, okay, no, we're not going. We're not getting sidetracked <laughs> on the backtrack. No, no, yeah. no, we're not going. So, um, <laughs> and this is also out on the PSP. And for what I understand, the, the PSP version, despite the fact that it would kind of seem unintuitive since it doesn't have touch screen and you're doing this bullet hell with this wisp, from what I hear, is actually pretty good. So either way, you can get that. Um, it's retailing for uh, you, you know used copies are going for about. Uh, 20 bucks, so they are limited because uh, Atlas does these limited release dealies. The new copies are well above that amount uh, by a number of degrees. Um, I personally would recommend uh, you definitely go and check it out, especially if you're a fan of weird, quirky Japanese stuff and you don't mind your games a bit on the deep side. Uh, if you're looking, you know, it's definitely not for the uh, faint of heart or the uh, casual game lovers. Um, so another one that came out was the Final Fantasy After Years. I believe this is the the Wii that we're talking about here, and um, uh, and this had this is Final Fantasy Four, I guess I should say that correctly. Final Fantasy Four, the yes. After Years, and uh, this was a series of downloadable content adventures um, on the Wii. Um, and I forget how I went time I cost it out, but if you bought them all like separately, it was like thirty two bucks, wasn't it? I think or forty bucks. It was a lot. Um, it was a lot. It was Very especially for, yeah. It's Final Fantasy four. It's and it wasn't even the main. It's just, it was that this is all. This takes place all after the original game. It, it it adds a couple of new mechanics. Nothing revolutionary. Anything like that, um, and whatnot. But let's see if I can find our uh, Final Fantasy four after years. Uh, developed of course by Square Enix, and um, this was a. Uh, released on the Wii uh, in 2008. There's not an exact date because it was released in chunks all over the place. Um, in a, a single player, single player RPG experience rated E for everybody. Um, so, who wants to talk about this one? Or because I, I mean, I played quite a bit of it, but I would like to let somebody else talk for once. Now, the After Years was a very interesting thing um, for fans of Final Fantasy IV. It was a complete and total fan it was like fan fiction come to life and it wasn't necessarily bad uh, what they did with a lot of the characters a lot of the new characters that they introduced was really really a nice twist on things 
but the story itself really kind of went nowhere. Uh, the combat system was decent, but it didn't really open up until the final chapter, which if if you decide to play this, don't get the WiiWare versions. Just yeah. go ahead and buy the PSP complete collection so you can get the original Final Fantasy IV and the After Years all in one portable collection complete and just everything. Don't don't go with the WiiWare version. Um, but I thought they yeah I thought they did some I thought they did some great things with the characterization with the um, with old characters twists they had on those and then uh, new characters and things that they did with uh, adding them in even though they don't go really deep on anything it's it's kind of an overall shallow experience but for fans of Final Fantasy IV know what you're getting into you can still kind of enjoy it. Awesome. Um, you know, I, I can't really think to add much more uh, to that. Um, on the Wii, um, despite the fact that it's on the Wii and it's on your big screen in your living room, it it, it really isn't that much of an improvement. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's a, <laughs> but it isn't that much of an improvement over the old Super Nintendo version. There's no 3D graphics here. Um, the 2D graphics... I think it looks worse than the original Super Nintendo game on WiiWare, actually. It's really hard to argue with you on that because it, it does yep. – it's – you know, you can do the 2D graphic retro thing. I mean that's, that that can be done, but it can be done in a way that's actually attractive. And I mean, uh, yeah, it, it looks like it was – it definitely does have a, a little bit higher resolution here and there, but it looks like that they were making it with uh, RPG Maker uh, in some areas. Am I wrong, Apps? Um, no. Well, I'm sure they didn't make it with RPG Maker, but yeah, yeah it definitely looks like that. <laughs> it's, just, it's just got, it just really could have used a, a lot more love, a lot more detail in the graphics department. Even the text, the, the text uh, in the menu systems looks so plain. It looks like Arial font, one oh, you know, 10, the, you know, the most yeah. basic font. It's just, um, it, you know, definitely could have used a, a little bit more love in those areas. I mean, fans of, of Final Fantasy IV and RPGs probably don't. Uh, probably don't care that much, you know, about the graphics. We don't need the the latest cutting edge graphics, but these yeah. are almost basic to the point where it does detract from the experience in this day and age. We kind of expect our our remakes to be just a, a little bit uh, a spiffier and up to date. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. If, I mean, if you can get the PSP version, there's no reason yeah. in the world to get the Wii version. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, but other than that, I kind of agree with, with, with pretty much everything Mr. Cunningham stands as far as the, uh, uh, the the story and the battle system and everything else goes. But what about you? Uh, 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 well, Minky, you haven't played this one, right? Because you don't, you know, you don't have a Wii. Uh, but apps, have, have you have any thoughts you want to add to this before we move on? Um, it's not worth the money it'll cost you to play in the Wii. <laughs> well, that too, because I think pretty much that pretty much sums it up. Uh, yeah, no, because um, they're still charging the full price last time I looked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't really have sales on WiiWare, do they? Not very. I, I Yeah, no, I can't, I can't remember seeing a sale Do on they it. even know WiiWare still exists? <laughs> that's, that's a good point. I don't think they do. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, no. Sounds like you're saying that Nintendo might not be as internet savvy as it could be. 
Interesting. <laughs> yeah, if you buy it on your if you buy it on your Wii, you're probably uh, yeah. It's well the the I mean we won't get into a side topic on the Wii store, whatever it's called. I hate it, but um it's probably gonna rent you forty bucks. Um you buy it on your PSP, you can get it for for thirty bucks uh, right now. It's not been out long enough to to have a whole bunch of used copies floating out there. But if you can find a used copy, it'll probably be five or ten bucks less anyways. Um. Uh, and, you know, and, and I think uh, I don't know if that one's available on the PlayStation Network or not. Do any of y'all know that off the top of your head? What is, is it? Uh, Final Fantasy After Years? If it's a downloadable PSP game, uh, the whole so. the, uh, just not well, not the the, uh, the complete no, collection. Yeah, the yeah. Whole collection. And the cool thing about the PSP the complete collection, of course, you're getting the original game, you're getting all the After Years, and you're getting like a middle. Uh, middle, I forget what that's called, epilogue, prologue, middle-log. And, and that's a worthless piece of junk. That's probably <laughs> worthless, okay. but It is. It's two hours of complete and utter worthlessness. <laughs> but you're you're getting it all for less than you'd pay for just the after years on the Wii. So that is true. Go, go yep. figure that one out for economics. <laughs> oh, poop. Okay. Uh, last one. Re- Square Enix figured that it had already built, uh, drained the Wii market dry, so it needed to try somewhere else. Yeah. Well, yeah there's always a little bit more blood in the in the old arm, so to speak, uh, and whatnot. Uh, last but most certainly not least, a Shimigami Tensei Devil Survivor, and that's kind of a mouthful there. Uh, this is also uh, an Atlas-published uh, uh, Nintendo DS RPG experience released here in North America on June 23rd, 2009. This is a tactical role-playing single-player experience rated T for Teen. So, Shimigami Tensei games. Most of player, you know, most of players who are used to hearing Shimigami Tensei, when you when you throw that word out there, you immediately think of uh, Persona. You think of some of the older Shimigami games. These are usually turn-based uh, combat uh, type of things with, uh, with sometimes with the dating elements, definitely with demon fusion elements and whatnot. But uh, Devil Survivor kind of goes off that road a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, somewhat. It still has the, the fusion techniques. It still has the, the moral choices that you have to make. But the biggest difference is the way the battle system works. It is, in essence, a tactical RPG in the way that you move around the world or around the battle screens. But when you actually engage an enemy, instead of it just being you know one slash and the enemy slashes you back or something like that, it goes into a standard turn-based battle system. So it's, it's really unique. I can't say it's the first game that did that, because if you follow the Japanese scene, you know that Ash from uh, Mistwalker was actually a game that did this first. It didn't seem to do it as well from people that have played it. Mike, I'd say you can uh, verify that, could you not? Any Mike? Am I alone? I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think we've okay. lost him. We might have lost the right. import, Mike. Um, no, my... But, my uh, my knowledge of the Shin Megami Tensei series is very sparse. Uh, you'd I, was saying with, agent. I was saying with Ash. Archaic Sealed Heat. Was uh, it? Well, I do remember some similarities between the battle systems being tossed about, but I think I can safely say that Ash is a much worse game than Devil Survivor. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, we are well-placed never to have received it in English. Sadly enough, um, I'm of the opinion that I wish we could get every game that ever came out 
in English and let us make our own decisions, but uh, yeah, financially that decide. financially well, that doesn't work. In a perfect world, yes, that would happen. But if we're exactly. going to only get a limited number of games, then I would rather as well be good. We deserve to have instead of so, games that are torturous. Uh, with Devil Survivor, the way it was set up too is you had multiple days. Um, apparently, the world was going to end after a certain amount of days, and you had to, you know, make decisions depending on who you talk to, how you deal with things, the way you answer situations, the way you deal with problems um, kind of lead you along a path to where on the final day you have multiple paths that you could take. There's, you know, like a good path, bad path, um, just depending on who you side with. And there, some are more challenging than, than others. And some of the harder ones are, I mean, it ramps up insanely in difficulty, but also the easier paths are a little more manageable and a little more fun to go through if you don't necessarily want a major challenge. And apparently that was something that uh, Atlas did take into consideration because for the new 3DS re-release of the game that's coming out in August, they did add a difficulty setting because apparently people did complain, oh, it's too hard. Well, it was kind of challenging and you did kind of have to grind in some spots, if you wanted to take on those harder challenges, if you avoided some fights or you didn't uh, necessarily take the perfect path through the game. And I remember having fun discussions with a former over grinding or having to grind in uh, Devil Survivor. But I didn't find it extremely difficult by any means, but there was a lot of time that you had to take and sit back to to make sure that you were well prepared to make it through it. But all in all, I really enjoyed the game, and I thought it was a great twist on the standard tactical RPG formula. Added uh, some nice variety in. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely adored this title. Um, And pretty much just uh, piggybacking on on a lot of what you said, the tactical, everyone who's listened to me for a while knows I love tactical and strategy RPGs. Um, I didn't know that the uh, that the whole thing where you're moving one character and you have uh, whenever that one character gets into a battle in a typical uh, tactical RPG, you just see him exchange bows. In this one, you're actually moving the character with his two partner uh, demons or whatnot. So it's really usually a three on three battle that happens every time you engage in a in a round of combat. Uh, not a round, but I guess uh, anytime you attack somebody else. And uh, th- for me, that was very original. Uh, and I play as many strategy RPGs or tactical RPGs as I can get my hand on. So I love that. The concept of the world's ending and uh, and whatnot with the story was really cool. I like the characters. Uh, just another great uh, Shimegami uh, Tensei game. But it was definitely refreshing uh, to have one that did a different take on, on, on the battle system. So definitely uh, a deep deeper uh, definitely a lot deeper than other Shimigami Tensei games um uh, you know you definitely see a lot of pushback regarding the difficulty level but players who play Shimigami Tensei games uh know that the difficulty uh the difficulty curve and some grinding is usually part of the formula for most of these titles did, did you play this uh Mr. Apps or Mr. Minky uh I did not I Around the time I was finally thinking of picking up this game, they announced the 3DS version. So uh, now I'm just awaiting that one. And, and you, Mr. I Mickey? I did not. My DS... 
I can't remember what I was playing at the time, but it was something that sucked up all my time. And lately, lately I've been trying to focus on console stuff since I may not be able to do that forever. Sure. And, and, um, um, you know, now if you, if I'm sure, you know, Miss, uh, Mr. Michael feels the same way that I would certainly recommend this, uh, to just about anybody except for maybe those people who are mostly into the more lighthearted JRPGs and they don't want to go, uh, any deeper than that. This would definitely not fall in that category, but for most, um, RPG fanatics out there, I think this would, you know, it's just such a great, a great little game. But the main question here, Mr. Mike, is if you have a, D, a, a DS, uh, there's no question you should go out and get this. But if you have a 3DS, or if you're planning on getting a 3DS, do you do you wait for that version, or do you? Oh, grab without it? a doubt. Um, it's the same game. You get extra content, and you have a different difficulty options on there. Absolutely, wait for the 3DS if you haven't Weren't played there it. There are a few bugs in this version. <sighs> there were some people that had issues with it locking up or freezing at some point. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I remember Mr. I didn't have it. That problem, didn't he? I think so. I did not in mine, and I was playing a. I can't remember if I was playing a retail or a review early review copy. I think I had an early review copy, but I didn't have any issues with that at all. So maybe it's got there. The one thing that was interesting, I don't think it was supposed to have, is there is a quick save. That you can do, which you know is standard in a lot of games, especially portable games. But it's supposed to delete when you go through and use it. This one didn't, so it was actually like an alternate save that you could have, which is good because you didn't have multiple save slots in the game, which made it a little more challenging to go back through if you made a wrong path choice or didn't want to try a different path. You could actually go back and re- kind of abuse your auto save or your quick save. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it doesn't Dragon Quest Dragon Quest 4 does the same thing cuz I'm playing through that and the 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 save yes. point doesn't disappear so when you load it back up and hey, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> uh, I had no issue with that either. I have no issue with. Are that. you still playing Dragon Quest 4? You've been playing that for what? 6 months now? <laughs> It's, it's, it's a good game. It's like my airline, yeah, and it's, you know, usually I'll take it on a trip or something, and and I'll hit a brick wall, and I won't be able to, you know, go any further and for a while, then I finally get back on the ground and read an FAQ and realize, oh, there, the door was right behind that hallway. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is one frustration of that one. But yeah, I was I was in that the, the dungeon, the, the, the statue dungeon, and I couldn't figure out how to get to the head, and it turns out the door did all you just had to rotate the camera around, which and I drop behind it. Yep. Yeah. So, anywho, uh, well, that's uh, that's our 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 quick modified blast from the recent past section. Uh, definitely feel free to leave your comments about this, uh, how we're doing this on the board, and we're going to give it a shot for another few shows and see how that works for for most people and see how we like it. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take a little break, let you listen to some more music, and uh, we'll be right back.
Okie dokie. So, um, and we j we had a lot of we had some diff <laughs> technical difficulties on the on the last podcast because uh, as as you mentioned during it, my uh, my uh, computer got a, a nasty virus that kind of blew up right right when we started recording. So, um, uh, and it took me a while to get it back up and running with uh, everything else, including being out of town for almost a week in Houston for uh, my job. So it took, yeah, it took me quite some time to get the show up. So there's probably, there's not any really comments yet <laughs> because the, the last show just went up two days ago. We're already recording this show. Um, now, a friend of mine who was stranded in Houston's airport about six years ago said that it was the worst city in America based on the airport. Would you agree? <laughs> Ah, it was it was okay. It was definitely a lot bigger than Salt Lake, that's for sure. <laughs> lots and lots of traffic. I mean, just going down to the Burger King was a was a was an interesting adventure. Um, but I had my handy GPS with me, and and somehow the GPS makes sense of all these twists and turns you gotta take to get any place there. But um, definitely a, a big, big, big city. <laughs> we do have one comment on the last one, though. We do, we do, from Nixie. She mentions that she feels like she got a massive education on fire thanks to us. Thought she thought it was great and informative, especially for someone like her who has no experience with the series. But she doesn't know if she could play it without having massive panic attacks trying to keep everyone alive, which is it's, a very common yeah. malady. I know exactly exactly how she feels. And that's it's all... not so much a massive panic attack as it is a massive reset constantly <laughs> attack. Yeah. Reset yeah. over and over. Yeah, yeah I've done yes, it. Yes, Mr. Cunningham knows a lot about Fire Emblem. I've I've done that quite a bit. I just can't let go of people. What if I need <laughs> them? What if they're important story element? I just can't let them go. We need a 3DS Fire Emblem. That's what we need. Yeah, uh, there you go. We so need can... the last DS Fire Emblem to come here. So I can't. Uh, that's beyond saving at this point. I'm so bitter I... and angry and nasty about that but still how about a fire emblem on 3ds where you can't delete your save so when somebody dies they're gone forever yeah she's <laughs> iron man mode somebody yeah <laughs> it's the iron man mode like those uh dot uh, not dot hack but those net hack games and whatnot um poo so uh definitely feel free to go back and leave comments after you listen to our massive fire emblem special you can check that out rpgamer.com um, and of course, you're all uh, want to go on, on boards and write about this episode as well. Um, is there um, uh, is there anything that you guys are are playing or doing that you want to give a shout out for? Get a little get a little, little few moments here in the spotlight, Mister uh, Mister Storm. Yes. Um, well, I just beat it, and I'm working on a second opinion review. Kind of talked about it earlier in the podcast. Legends of Legend of Heroes: Trails in the Sky, great game. Kind of a really good throwback to classic RPGs. Uh, you got to give it about five hours to really kick in, and when it does, it, it's not bad during that time. It's just a little slow during that time, but when it finally kicks in, bam! Awesome, amazing, love it. Great story, fantastic. Got to play it. Now, did you play uh, all three of the earlier PSP Legend of Heroes games, or just two of them? No, don't bring two, those up. No, <laughs> I played. I played two of them to completion, and am going to play the third one at some point. I, I have it. I just have not played it all the way through. And they are not developed by Falcom. They are totally different, and they are not good. They're not about to say. There's a reason. Why. <laughs> yeah, it's not comparable. Um, 
but uh, Trails in the Sky, fantastic. Highly recommend it. And also kind of in a, a retro thing is, I believe it's tomorrow on Xbox Live Arcade, is coming uh, Half-Minute Hero redone. Super Neo Ultra something or other? Super Mega Neo Climax is what it's called. It is coming to Xbox Live Arcade. Uh, I don't know the price. I think 800 points. It has redone all of the non-RPG modes into RPG modes. So really want to play that. Really want to play that because the Evil Lord, Princess, and Night modes, I couldn't stand. They were just kind of lame. But the Hero mode more than made up for it. So if these are redone in the Hero mode style, I'm there. I'm totally, totally, utterly there. Publishing that. And that's only going to be on the Xbox? Yes. Uh, It was uh, Marvelous uh, Marvelous and Opus Studio, (laughs) the developers behind the original uh, just decided, hey, Xbox Live's a good thing, and Microsoft sure. picked it up and said, we'll publish it. Huh. There you go. And they are, so. Awesome. You know, before we get completely past the last episode, there's something I forgot to mention in the import corner of it. It has to do with the third and the fifth games, which do the nasty trick for Fire Emblem of making you dismount everyone who has a steed indoors. <laughs> what? <laughs> Now, in the third game, this is particularly odd because apparently some of the stats of your characters who are mounted come from the mount and not from the character. So when you dismount, your stats go down. And particularly near the end, you might have maxed that character, so there's no way to undo it. And in the fifth game, well, it's just really, really, really annoying on top of so many other things in the fifth game because uh, when you dismount... All of the weapon experience, given that most of these characters use lances or axes instead of swords and are forced to use swords when they're dismounted, gets undone. So you will be forced to use lots of sword users indoors who have mostly not been practicing with swords because they're mounted. Oh, and uh, yeah, you can't use swords while you're mounted, most of these people. If you can use lances while mounted, you can't use swords. And... Again, it's particular to the fifth game. You can ca- anybody who's mounted can attempt to capture anybody who's not mounted, but once they're dismounted, that's completely irrelevant because you know you need to capture people for their equipment, and you can't do that if your constitution is really low. So that's just another aggravation of the fifth game that I forgot to bring up, and it's really, really wow. because the fifth game has so many annoyances, which I mentioned last time, and this is just another to pile on. Was that the one that came out in 1999? Yes, and if you want the physical copy, it will cost you in the neighborhood of $100. Uh, I don't think it would be worth 10 <laughs> by the sounds of it. Okay. Well, hey, if, you, if you've if you always wanted to pull your hair out with every battle and <laughs> constantly curse, damn it, I needed, I needed to have that character in this battle, but I couldn't because of the fatigue system, then this is your game. And if you, if you've always longed to have a main character who you have to throw into the front lines because he's the only one who fatigue doesn't affect, and just hope that he doesn't die in a game where you will never see zero percent odds for enemies to hit you, and you will never see one hundred percent odds for you to hit the enemy, then this is. Hey, uh, <clears throat> Phil. Hey, uh, Mike. How's Donkey Kong? 
Donkey Kong's <laughs> the most awesome thing in the world. <laughs> you know, I have one yeah. complaint about Donkey Kong in the Virtual Console. Was uh, that you can't get it in color, the color version? Yeah, they, they, it's a Super Game Boy game. Yeah. They didn't include any of those features in there for some reason. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. That was the first thing I thought, too. So it's funny how we're on the same page on that one. Yeah. But wasn't there some character in Donkey Kong who eventually became kind of important elsewhere? I think Nintendo made use of this guy somewhere else, but I can't be sure. Yeah. You're dreaming about something. Yeah. Man, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, I, I guess it was just my memory fouling up again. It's been known to do that. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about, you know, Donkey Kong himself, who ended up in all those Donkey Kong Country games. No, it was probably maybe Diddy Kong. It was Jumpman. That's his name, Jumpman. That was the princess. She was in those Mario Kart games. Jumpman, that'll never work. I thought it was. I thought it was a uh, Daisy. Yeah, isn't Daisy the the, the wasn't, that, wasn't that Super Mario Land? Oh, jeez. All right, back on top, Mister Apps. <laughs> is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, I'm currently working on Dungeon Siege Three to review. Nice. How's that been going? Give us a little preview. Um, it's a, kind of interesting because it kind of completely goes off from the being anything like the original games in the series and inserts a bit more story than the original games had because they pretty much had none. Uh-huh. I think the story, basic story of the original game was you were a farmer and they destroyed your farm. Yeah, I mean, the, I played the I played the first one and yeah, the the. the plot was paper thin and that really wasn't it's kind of like Di- diablo and th- those other types of games the usually the stories just take a backseat to the game yeah player. exactly so this one kind of puts in a bit more story you know which is interesting to see in an action rpg and somehow manages to still not get in the way of things but the the, the combat they've done in it is really interesting and almost reminds me of some of the recent east games and the one thing I really like about it is they got rid of potions, and instead there's, there's you know, after you've gotten a certain number of attacks in on enemies, you can use a healing ability, which still doesn't heal you immediately. It just kind of regenerates your health over time. So kind of, instead of going with the usual action RPG thing where you just hack away at things and use a health potion whenever your health gets low, you actually have to use strategy. Mm-hmm. And it it works pretty well. The only big problem with the game is it's got a weird implementation of multiplayer. Huh. But I'll save that for the review. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's what text is good for. Sweet, sweet, sweet. And last but not least, Mr. Minky, any thoughts you'd like to share with the audience? Anything you're working on or anything you want to plug? Oh, I'll be putting a review of Albert Odyssey 2 up sooner or later. Awesome. Uh, again, it it's not difficult. It's simply a matter of slogging through it. And I'm somewhere around three quarters of the way through right now, I think. So not too much longer. Mm. Um, and after that, after that, I'll be hitting up a game which I need to play in order to talk about for the next time, which is Alundra. Keeping with the working designs theme of the night. <laughs> and that... Yeah, we'll see if I ever grace the site with a review of Fire Emblem 5, considering I need to play some more of the game in order to review it, and that's <laughs> Sorry. a hard task. Um, yeah, 
I almost wish we could lower our standards a little bit this time because I've played quite enough of the game to call it. There's no way it can possibly turn into something awesome later on. <laughs> turn into something awesome. It's not going to spontaneously go from a one to a five, Mike. Uh, I'm sorry. Unless the bat, unless the fog of war stops being completely black, thus I cannot see what the map is until I move someone over there. (laughs) 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 All righty. Well, um, (laughs) I don't know if I can follow up on that. Our next show will be RPG Backtrack number 49 in Dreams. Uh, We'll be recording that on July the 12th and get that up shortly thereafter that. So be looking out for that. We'll be talking about the Alundra games and uh, maybe... uh, I'll be learning uh, whether the second game is as bad as it is reputed to be. (laughs) Oh, boy. And maybe maybe something else. We'll see. Um, We want to thank... Um, all three mics. <laughs> the three mics. I managed somehow not to screw y'all up. Uh, There's only two mics on here. <laughs> yeah, just think if we'd managed to get Mr. Tidwell on here. Oh, I am. I am not Mike. And <laughs> never will be. Mr. Cunningham, you are speaking to Phil. Take uh, a name that he can pronounce regularly and be happy. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> True, true. Uh, of course, as always, we listen. Uh, we we listen. We thank our audience for listening to us. As always, you're the reason we do this. Hey, do us a favor, everybody. Rate us on iTunes. I'm. I have an iPad now, but that's my plug for the week. My plug for the week is the iPad. My my wife and I were out shopping. Uh, a few weeks ago, but not the Centipad, right? No, not the Centipad, <laughs> not not the your pad, but the my pad, not the iPad. So we're out shopping, and I was looking for a mouse in Best Buy. You know, Best Buy. If you were walking to them nowadays, there's like 20 people who rush towards you and say, "Can I help you? Can I help you?" They're very customer centric. But of course, being the guy that I am, I don't want somebody to tell me where the mice are at. I can figure out for myself. They're in the computer section. Problem was. They weren't in the computer section. So while I went off looking for the mice all over the, you know, God's creation, uh, the wife may um, uh, spend some of her time just farting around the PC section, which was right next to the Mac section, which is where the iPads were at. So I finally found the mice, which, by the way, people, is located in the back of the PlayStation section. Uh, <laughs> I came back out. She's like, I feel like i got to have one of these. So I said, well, that's well, let me play around with it. Yeah, can I do YouTube? Oh, this is pretty cool. I can watch TV. I can, yeah, I can take this around the house because, you know, around our house, we just have the computers and the television down in the basement. So, and a lot of times we don't even make it down here if we're just waking up in the morning or something like that. You just want to check the news, watch a, a TV show real fast or, you know, while you're cooking breakfast or something. You know, so I'm seeing all kinds of uses for us. I'm like, yeah, you know, we can get this and then I can put my stuff on it. And she's like, no, you can't put your stuff. This is my pad. You get your own. So we, we ended up uh, – long, long story short, after driving all over town because there's like none of these in Salt Lake City except for the Apple Store in downtown Salt Lake, and that's where we went. We finally picked up two of them. So um, now – now I, I, I'm sorry. It's such a long story, but I have, to, I have to keep going here because four days – so I'm taking this to work. I'm showing it to everybody. It's awesome. You play movies on it. It's thin. It's beautiful. Like you know, I, I'm not an Apple fanatic by any stretch of the imagination. I'm a PC uh, gamer through and through, but – uh, you know, for what it's designed to be, it's like the microwave oven in your kitchen. It does things quick, fast, and easy. Uh, you don't want to want to get rid of your oven That's or stove. That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm sitting there showing all people at work. One day I'm getting out. It's like the fourth day I've had it. I'm getting out of my car at work, and I've got the little cool magnetic cover. That's awesome too. Unfortunately, the iPad 2 has a kryptonite, and that's called concrete. Because as I was getting out of the car, it slipped out of my hand, and it hit the concrete. 
And uh, the glass, it's just glass on the front, and it just shattered. So, uh, no, I dropped my iPod, and it hasn't broken. Yeah, you should see it. It was like one of those movies where you go really slow. No! And, uh, but the guys, you know, the guys at Apple are, are really great. It wasn't covering a warranty. Normally, non-warranty cover uh, repair is like 300 bucks or something. Actually, they don't repair it. They give you a new one because they really can't make the, you know, they can't weld it back together and stuff. So, But he said, you know, you just bought it four days ago. We give you a, a one-time, uh, you know, out-of-warranty dealy there for, for, you know, so I got a brand new one. But, yeah, I mean, boy, go flying to Houston. I mean, I take my Game Boys. I mean, Game Boys. I mean, I take my 3DSs. I take my PSP, you know, and those are fun and everything, but to sit in a small cramped space for three hours and just play, you know, one or two games. I, I don't know. For some reason, my attention span just isn't what it used to be. But you bust out the iPad and you go from reading your books on it to uh, watching, you know, television shows that you've downloaded to um, playing, you know, some some demos of some games you've downloaded or some quick casual games real fast. Uh, they got some RPGs on there and whatnot, and you just it's really a great all-in-one, just take it and go type of device and whatnot. And uh, it's just it's something that you know my wife and I now just use, you know, every single day. So. My, that's my prop for the week. It's the iPad too. Ha ha! <laughs> just hey, Abaddon just came out on that, you know. Woo! Abaddon, who's Abaddon? It's the game he put up a review for today. Oh yeah, yay! Right? Gonna go read my Abaddon review. <laughs> that was that was a review a long time in coming. Let me tell you. But oh. that's a story for another time. But but Avadon, oh oh, because I the first thing I, I saw that oh I saw I saw oh I was thinking Avalon for a I, I saw the the thing at the top because I I was on the page today and um uh but it said Spiderweb software game is that on the iPad the Spiderweb software games aren't they usually those those really uh, mm-hmm. you know two D type of games that you normally play on the yep. PC or Mac yeah yep yeah. and it's on iPad are you serious the first Get game out. on the iPad. Well, no, he's lying to you. That is awesome sauce. They're getting those games on the <laughs> iPad. That is so cool. Uh, I will definitely check out your review. Thanks for There's another prop for Mr. Apps. Yeah, there you go. I gave you two for the price of one. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna, now, next time you're on the show, you don't get a prop because you got two on oh. this one. Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyways, RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email JC Served and RP Gamer. Oh, is it RPG Gamer? I forgot Mr. Cunningham's here. It's RP Gamer. And help shape our future shows. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer and become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. As always, listen to our vast library of previous podcasts as we quickly approach number 50, as well as our awesome sister shows, RPG Cast, which is quickly approaching number 200, and uh, RPG Sanctum, which I think is up to a dozen, um, at rpgamer.com. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Minky, please put this guy to bed. <clears throat> Uh, believe it or not, there was a time when the Saturn was the system for RPGs. That time didn't last very long, but Working Designs did a good job supporting it with worthwhile stuff. And Magic Knight, Ray Earth, and Albert Odyssey are still fun to experience. They're probably not worth buying the system for, but anybody who plays the most like will have a good time. And the translations are quite quality, and that's always welcome, which is almost certainly the reason to play them nowadays. Aside from the gameplay, which in the case of Albert Odyssey is... Certainly not terrible, and in case of Magic Knight Ray Earth, we'll support the game for you pretty well. 